I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Helmets Off is now on. I'm Scott Mitchell, and we're going to... Mental health will drive you mad. According to certain NBA players, uh, Kevin Love, this was an article by Jackie McMullen, longtime um, NBA beat writer, and uh, she she normally does a really good job on stuff she tackles. But Kevin Love just recently um, spoke about suffering from uh, anxiety and depression. And there have been a a decent number of people who have come out in recent years and talked about this this whole phenomena about uh, mental health and how uh, it's such a such a challenging thing because in professional sports you're required to be perfect and you can show no signs of weakness no struggle no nothing and so a lot of these things which you're not immune to uh go undetected un unhelped and you struggle mightily with this and i can give you countless examples of people johnny menzel re- recently spoke of this very thing he said you know i i struggled with with these kind of issues as a as you know when i when i started out in the nfl so you can imagine being in such a stressful high profile i mean i'm not sure you get any more high profile than johnny manziel did when he came into the nfl heisman trophy winner you know high you know i think his first pick in the draft or or somewhere close to it to the cleveland browns and he's going to be the savior and he just goes on this <laughs> like whirlwind crazy um almost you know out-of-control behavior. And you, you look at a guy like Ryan Leaf, uh, you know, n- not too long ago where, you know, you, you, you compare Ryan Leaf and Peyton Manning here, uh, and a lot of people wanted Ryan Leaf over Peyton Manning, and they were drafted kind of 1-2 in the NFL, and Peyton Manning went way up, and Ryan Leaf went way down. And all people say is, man, that guy just couldn't get it together. No, no one ever really looks at like how debilitating and how real and how challenging these mental health issues are. And then I think of Donny Osmond. Donny Osmond, you know, he he basically had a breakdown, like a mental breakdown. Something just went haywire with, and you know, kind of laugh about this, but but it was very real, very serious, very you know, it 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 got so. Um, so debilitating that functioning in your normal everyday life became impossible. Well, what was rather interesting from this article was that NBA owners now want access to mental health records. And people are like, no, (laughs) no, no. They can't have access to it. And they're like, look, we're going to pay hundreds of millions of dollars 
out to these individuals and they're not they're not going to have um you know we, we don't know their state of mind and are they going to be able to perform and should we even allow them to perform or should we um you know are we are we being biased and prejudiced against someone that has a mental health issue something that's unavoidable and and if they're able to work and and you know get help and admit they have a problem can they be highly functioning athletes who perform well in in the workplace it's a, it's a fascinating discussion about should they know and should they i don't want to say pun, be punished but should they get uh should there be cause for concern if i was an owner i wouldn't want to not have that kind of player on my team but i'd want to know and i'd only want to know so i could help them so i could i could get the right assistance or the right things in place and and to let them know you know that we're, that we can support this type type of thing but i read some of the comments from this article and it was it was fascinating the points people made and and brought out they said you know if an owner knew this they could potentially get it out in the public where it could hurt the player's position with maybe other teams and then their market value is not quite as high and then they could actually negotiate and sign them for less or there's a lot of there's a lot of ways that things could be manipulated through this type of information and i'm telling you as an athlete it would be so hard to come out and say man i i i struggle with this i really need some help because you are under such a microscope from and i wonder if people really realize this i wonder if people could function in their everyday jobs like athletes function in their jobs and let me explain this wherever you go to work today whatever you do is someone videotaping your work day so you're you're at your desk or you're wherever and imagine that a camera is videotaping everything that you do and not only is it videotaping it but then at the end of the day you're going to sit down with your manager and you're going to go over all of the videotape everything that's going on and you're you're going to uh you know watch and and uh and the, and your boss is going to talk through and everything you did and you cannot hide from anything everything's on display and then and then your boss is going to say today you got 86% whatever that means you got a b plus today i i happened to watch this show the other night it was undercover boss and it was about this guy who owns a, a bunch of these fitness clubs and and he had one and, and so he was a fran he was the he was a franchise uh or so he owned all of he was he owned the, all of these franchises and he was going around to his different franchises and seeing how his franchisees the people who had bought his franchises how their how their businesses were being run and he ran into this manager and she was horrible she was terrible and the way she treated customers, the way she talked to him, she just she she should have no way in no 
no uncertain terms ever have been in that position. But had he not gone on this show, Undercover Boss, I don't know that people would even have known how terrible she was. But imagine that that goes on. And then imagine that you have people from print media, people from television media coming to your desk every day and and asking you a question about, you know, that report that was due uh, on Friday. Are you going to be able to get that report? Is is it due? Is it finished? Are you are you going to be able to handle that or are you are you done? And I'm t- you know, could you imagine that in your job? And then they go, "Woo. He was kind of surly with us today." And they write that in the newspaper. They write down, "Oh gosh, you know, this guy is uh he's non-responsive to the media. I guess he's got something to hide in his report. Something must be going on wrong." And and imagine that happening every single day. And then you have all of the national media. Imagine that you're going on Fox News and CNN and MSNBC and ABC, and they're talking about your performance every day. That's what, and, and, and I, don't, I don't know that people grasp how weird that is, how hard it is to function in that lifestyle every single day. Not everyone can do it. And I'm telling you, if you have just the slightest chink in your armor, if you have the slightest bit of depression or anxiety or ADHD or anything else going on, you know, your bipolar, your whatever mental health issue, I'm telling you, it will be exaggerated by about a thousand in that environment. And you never, ever, ever show that you have a weakness. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to tell you about what I went to because I and I'm I've well, quite frankly, I haven't ever told anyone about this. But as I read this, I was like, "This is what I struggled with," and it was, it was brutal. Stick around; we'll be right back. Welcome back to Helmets Off. Scott Mitchell here talking about uh, should owners have access to mental health issues or records of players? And and kind of my take on it is, you know, I mean, that's a, it's a crazy issue. It's like, you know, if I'm an owner, I'm like, yeah, I think they should, I would want to know, but but no, not to like penalize the player, but to to help them to be as effective as they possibly can be. It's a lot of money. A hundred million dollars into a person is a lot of money. And you certainly want to make sure that you're going to get a return on your investment and that you're not ending up with something that maybe you didn't expect. I mean, it's, it's, a, tough, it's a tough issue. And, and, of course, everyone has their right to privacy. These athletes, you know, they and we all do. I mean, we deserve, we deserve to have that, that right to, to privacy. But as I read this article <laughs> – and as I thought through this and how how hard it is to be a professional athlete from the standpoint of you can never have anything wrong. And so being able to compartmentalize your life in a lot of ways becomes kind of a survival mechanism that I, I would imagine a lot of players deal with. And I can tell you that that I dealt with it, that it was something that I, I went through. And I, ne- I never 
I never talked to anyone about it uh, for a long time. I had one of one of our uh, personnel directors when I played for the Detroit Lions. He says, "You know, we have we have someone if you want to talk to him." Meaning uh, a, a psychologist, uh, if you're having any kind of you know struggle or issues, and I was like, internally, I was like screaming to be able to talk to someone, but outwardly, in the protectionist mode that I had as an athlete, I was like, no, I'm good. <laughs> I don't need to talk to anyone, and uh, and and so I didn't. But I can tell you that there were times that uh, it was so overwhelming to me, the thought of playing in a game, that I would sit in my hotel the night before and and just, I wanted so bad for this feeling to go away that I just wanted the game over. I go, I don't, in my mind, I was like, I don't care if we win or lose. I just, this anxiety is just so powerful. It's so debilitating. I just want the game over with. I don't want this feeling around anymore. I just want it to go away. And I would I would get so worked up before games where it's uh, I, it was just I couldn't eat. Um you know, I just felt like I was going to throw up and it got to a point where I like I just couldn't function with it. And of course, I sat there in my silence. I never told anyone about this about how how strong and how powerful that was and and how sometimes you know it got the best of me and I would go into games and it it would take me a while just to just to settle down and and there was something about just kind of working through the first few plays or the first you know part of the game and and I know people are going to say this and go well that's pretty normal you know you just you know this is a pretty big deal you know going in front of you know, 80,000 people and millions of people watching on television. There, there's, there's a, there's a, a sense of, you know, trepidation about that. And, uh, I think any, I think that would be a normal feeling. And, um, and I think, I think for the most part, I, I would hope that it was, but I can tell you that the feeling so often was so powerful and so overwhelming that it rendered me like incapable of functioning. And what would happen is for me, the way I dealt with it was I ate. I mean, I can remember times being in my hotel, you know, eating like crazy amounts of food. And this was insane sometimes the night before a game or on a Friday afternoon when, when we had our way in and I knew I was, and I would find myself at these restaurants eating just crazy amounts of food or on Saturday um, in the walkthrough and after it was over and we usually have pizza or Popeye's chicken and just having tons of food just, and I don't know if it was a coping mechanism. I don't know what it was, but it just, I just found myself, you know, I didn't drink alcohol. I didn't take drugs, but I ate and, and, and the impact that, that, that would have on me was, was actually sometimes devastating. And then um, in later in my career, uh, I was going through some, I mean, brutally challenging things in my life. I'd been married. I had three small children, and, and I got divorced. 
And without getting into all the details of being divorced, let's just say my wife left right before I went to training camp. And, um, and I couldn't, I couldn't function and she left and there were my three kids and they were gone. And the next day I had to go to training camp. And so I went on and I, I just said, you know, you can't. and, it, and it, I'm going to tell you, it was so hard to just get up every day and try to go to work and, and not only go to work, but go to this high pressure, brutal job. Well, that season, uh, a game and a half, two games into the season, I got benched by Bobby Ross. So my wife left me and I got benched in a very public, very humiliating way. And I think I had a breakdown. I, I, I just was, I was useless. I didn't care if I played football anymore. I couldn't function. Um, it was all I could do every day to just show up. And it just, you know, and I wished I could have been more or done more, but I couldn't. I just, I was, I was, I just, I, I just was so lost. And it got to a point where I had this major anxiety if I went out anywhere in public. I couldn't, I, I didn't want to be seen by anyone. I couldn't go to a movie. I couldn't go to a grocery store. I couldn't go to a convenience store. I couldn't go to the mall. And I didn't want to. And I got this major, major anxiety about being in public and being around people. Well, the season ended and I thought, okay, I got this all together. And I go to the Baltimore Ravens. I was traded to them. And I was benched again a game and a half into the season. And I just, um, and I, I, I was so, I was so non-functioning that I, I remember leaving the stadium and I just, I like my heart was racing after the game was over. And I just drove out into the, into the countryside. And I just, in my head was like, I'm going to just drive away and never come back. And, and, and I just, I can't even, I can't even describe to you how I felt about all this, but I can tell you that I was not in my right mind and I I did not have the ability to function in my normal life. And, and it about like destroyed me. I don't know that I ever got over it quite frankly. And I decided I'm like, you know, I'm not going to let them beat me. I'm not going to let this beat me. And so, cause I, I had, I had resigned myself that season that I was just going to quit the NFL. I was like, this is just too hard. And I bought a motor home and I was going to drive around the country in a motor home where I could just see everything and I could just get away from football and I was in my motorhome at the end of the season. I had it in the parking lot at the Ravens facility. We had our last meeting, and I got in it, and I started heading south from Baltimore, Maryland, to Florida and Disney World. And halfway between Baltimore and Florida, I just said, I'm not, I'm not going to run away. I'm not going to quit from this. I'm not going to let this beat me. And so I just decided I'm going to keep playing. And the two... Most rewarding years of my career were my last two. Uh, 
because I, I, and, and I'm probably not explaining this very well, but I'm telling you, I can't, I can't even describe how sad, how painful, how debilitating it was in those few years. Um, my last in Detroit and my year in Baltimore, it was just, it was just emotionally crushing to me and deciding to continue and not quit and finish out my career. And there was nothing spectacular about it. Like I didn't ride off into the sunset and win a Super Bowl and have in all these things, but I finished it. I didn't quit. I didn't give up and I finished it. And I have a picture which we have shown on helmets off of me holding my arms in the air. And that to me is, is that triumphal triumphant moment in my career where I just, I, I, uh, I just didn't quit. And, and it means uh, a tremendous amount to me. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure where this went today, but uh, I, I can just tell you that these struggles we have in life are just real. And, and sometimes they just kick our butt. And uh, who, who knows? I, I've actually gone to counseling and had some other experiences in my life that have kind of helped me wrap my arms around all of these things. Maybe I can share them on another episode uh, someday because pretty cool stuff. Anyways, uh, if you're struggling with any of these things and, uh, you know, it's just real stuff. And I think where, where we get in trouble is we figure that uh, we're invincible and we, and we, and we can't talk to someone. If anything, go, go seek help and, and, and share this, share your struggle, share your pain with other people and know that, uh, there are ways other than, you know, the obvious ways sometimes we feel, but there are ways that then there are people that can help you to deal with your pain and manage it and overcome it. All right. Helmets off is now off. You can text helmets to six, five, five, three, seven, go to all those social sites and like us. And of course, be smart dials in your smartphone until then we'll catch you soon.